0: Good morning, working our way through 2nd Corinthians and as we've been talking about to give you a little taste for what Corinth was like, it was a dazzling modern Greco-Roman city, something like Chicago and that it was a vital commercial link between East and West. A lot of people went there, traded, and, and so it was a very busy place. In contrast to the poverty of the surrounding countryside, the inhabitants of Corinth were wealthy. They were wealthy and they flaunted it. Somebody said Corinth was a city designed for those who really cared about social status. He says schmoozing, Massaging a superior's ego, rubbing shoulders with the powerful, pulling strings, scratching each other 's back, dragging rivals names through the mud, all describe what was required to attain success in this society and The problem was not that the church was in Corinth we've been saying, but too much of Corinth was in the church. Uh, Power manifesting itself in ruthlessness and self-advancement had made its way into the church. For many, the Christian community just became another place to be able to kind of claim status. Most, if not all, the problems that Paul deals with in this place kind of are hatched because of the influence of the setting. As Paul works his way through, let's see what he says Verse 12, we'll just work our way through the passage. Um, He writes, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. As we've been seeing, what's, what's happening, and the reason why Paul's talking about this, and we talked about it last week, is that he is being accused of being fickle and wishy-washy. His name is being dragged through the mud. He's being lambasted by individuals and those who should rise to his defense are not doing so. Because the deal is with Paul, he doesn't look much or act much like a glorious divine representative. Um, He kind of changed his plans. He, um, as we've said before, he doesn't look like a poster boy for the glory of God monthly. I mean, he looks like 20 miles of bad road. And so what the individuals who are causing trouble for him indicate is if he's a divine representative, he should look glorious, shouldn't he? Shouldn't he? and he doesn't, and that message is making its way in and, and is under, undercutting uh, his ministry. Paul defends himself, not just because he wants to defend himself, but he wants to defend the message that he understands he has been called to proclaim to Gentiles, which is the, the message of the new covenant. What he says in verse 14, what ends up happening here? he's uh, in the middle of the letter, he kind of takes a detour. And he's been talking about his plans and why he made the decisions he made. And he's going to pick that up in chapter seven. But in chapters two through the first part of seven, he's going to, it's really not a diversion because for him, everything revolves around his call to be a steward. A steward is something, someone who takes something from the owner of the house and distributes it to those that the master of the house desires that it would be distributed to. And what Paul understands about his role is that he is a steward who has been given things by God. And is to distribute these things to individuals who really need them. And fortunate for us, the individuals to whom God told Paul to distribute these goods were Gentiles. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. Um, and he says then in verse 14, as he starts to talk about his ministry, um, he says, thanks be to God. A fragrance from life to life. Here's the image. The image is of what happened after Rome went and engaged a country in battle. And when they came back victorious, they would have a procession through the city. And a couple of things that are important for us as we think about how Paul applies this thing is that the conquering general is in the center of the parade. And he's in the very center of a gold encrusted chariot. And right in front of him, there's incense bearers. And so there's this incense and this smoke wafting all through all through the general, and everybody smells it. That's one thing you need to know. And behind him, there are the conquered army soldiers being led in triumphal procession. So they have to walk behind this conquering general. And you could look interestingly at this passage two ways. As Paul kind of Gives us this image, he, on the one hand, could be identifying himself with these incense bearers who occupy a position of glory it's kind of a sweet thing they're right in front of the general, they're flew the incense, but you could also paul could also be identifying himself with the conquered soldiers and so Yeah, let's talk about it briefly. One view is that Paul paints himself and Jewish Christians as defeated foreign captives. And they are kind of shuffling along in humiliation and shame. They're being ridiculed. People are pointing fingers at them. In fact, what happens in this parade, as these soldiers are marched through this procession, what they said, in many cases they came to a place where the parade halted and they were executed. And that was the, in, the kind of the enjoyment for the day to see those individuals who had created problems for Rome. They got their just desserts. They were paraded through the city and mocked and then they got to this place and they were killed. And um, this could be Paul's point. And the fact it surprises us is that it really could be. What Paul will say in Second Corinthians, we are always carrying around the death of Jesus in our bodies. And we've talked about this, that we'll get to the place where he'll talk about himself and those he represents as jars of clay. A jar of clay is an ordinary vessel containing something really precious, but a jar of clay is subjected to brutal treatment. It's just not special. You don't take a jar of clay and put it up out of harm's reach. Now with the individuals of the day believe that if you are God's spokesperson, he treated you like a gold vessel or something like that. I mean, that makes sense from some perspective, doesn't it? That if, if God calls you to represent him, that you would reflect that call by being kind of glorious i mean that that's there's a this that makes sense from one perspective doesn't it and what paul will say the very opposite is true that they end up being mocked and and they well are treated like jesus was individuals in corinth the christians there see Jesus as the Lord of glory. And is, is he the Lord of glory? Yeah, he is. But before he was the Lord of glory, he was the crucified Savior. And so they're kind of jumping over that part. And what Paul understands is that in order to extend new covenant inclusion to Gentiles, he and I believe the Jewish Christians, who he is motivating and encouraging, they're going to be treated as jars of clay, and as we'll see, they then paid a price to be able to channel the new covenant to us. Paul certainly, and so this could be Paul's point. Uh, The other point, it could be that, Paul sees himself not as those who are conquered and follow the general, but those who are bearing incense and go right before him. And he could be describing and using this picture to say, no, that's us as well. Uh, the incense bearers, um, they march right in front of the conquering general. And the thing about the, the incense, um, and Paul will talk about, and he did talk about, is that it kind of hits two different groups in two different ways. I remember growing up in church, um, I was an altar boy. And so there were times where on special masses and at funerals, we would have these sensors. And what they'd do, you'd put this, before the service, you'd put this little brick in there of sensors, and then you'd light it. And during the service, then it would begin to smoke, and then you'd take it at the appropriate time, and then you'd, you kind of had to do this flicky thing with it. You know, you've done the flicky thing, haven't you? You know, you kind of had to do the flicky thing. And, and when you do that, it, it just kind of goes, whoa. And then, uh, okay, yeah, Mike, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, that's very helpful. Um, but the, the deal is with the, with the incense, uh, it kind of smelled good. It did. It had an interesting smell to it. What Paul, as he thinks of himself as an incense bearer, he's not holding something, he's not thinking of physical incense. What he's thinking about is the message he proclaims, the good news, and he'll talk about it, of the new covenant. And interestingly, the new covenant, it seems to be such good news. It has a very different impact on two different groups of people. On those who are being saved, it really does smell sweet. On those who are perishing, it stinks. It's a stench, That's that's what he'll say. To those who are being saved, the aroma is sweet. It brings to mind those who experience salvation. A lot of times what happened when the Roman army went to battle, there could be captives, Roman captives who are being held by this foreign army, and so when the Roman army comes in and they they conquer these enemies, and so what will happen paraded as well would be the released captives, the Romans who yeah, yeah, and and to them as they walk, this incense smells sweet. It smells like victory. It smells like release and redemption. And um, so in that way, the, the aroma is sweet. And those who have been released and set free because they've heard the message of the new covenant and have believed it, they understand that we are under a new covenant and out from under the old one and we are released and those who understand it, the, the smell of the message is very sweet. To those who are perishing, the aroma is, it's a stench. Um, it brings to mind the captured enemies on display and again, um, they are n- marching to their death and they understand it. It's interesting and you can think about this Good news can feel bad depending on whether you believe it or not. I remember when I was, um, I told you about this, I'll not I'll go br- really brief. At the University of Pennsylvania, when I heard the gospel for the first time, that it was he had done everything, I was offended because I really had tried hard over the years to do the kind things that would give me confidence that I was going to be included. And I really kind of worked at it. I was an altar boy and I was going to become a priest and, and all these things. And when he said it's, it's really something that you receive as a gift. I was offended. And I remember feeling the offense of that. Um, in that sense, then the good news to me, because I really couldn't believe it. It wasn't good news. It was something that I hadn't done. And it disturbed me. And I kept on putting up all these deflections about what about the native in Africa and what about the person that never heard. And and finally, this guy put it to me and he said, Mike, I can't answer all these questions you have. I can't tell you about those who haven't heard, but one thing, Mike, you have heard and what are you going to do with it? And ooh, mm, put it that way. And I remember it was at that point... And I said, okay, I guess this is the way it is. But it didn't seem like good news right away. Um, Paul talks about himself then as kind of sending up this fragrance. And to some it smells wonderful and to some it stinks. He goes on in verse 16. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity... As commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Um, remember what, when God told Moses, I want you to be my spokesperson? Remember that? You know what he ended up saying? I'm not qualified. I, I'm not enough to do that. I'm not sufficient. I, I don't know enough, I don't speak well enough, my brother Aaron, and so Aaron ended up doing it. Uh, in fact, here's what it said, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Um, Paul says, who is sufficient for such things? What he'll say in in the context is, and it sounds a little bit arrogant. He didn't find sufficiency in himself, but he felt that he was proclaiming something that if you believed it, you would have eternal life. And if you didn't, you wouldn't. He saw himself as bringing that clear of a message. Um, It's interesting. And Paul, he didn't look like a glory, but if you have a zillion watt message, you don't need to be a zillion watt messenger, do you? If you have a really bright light, The fixture that the light is in doesn't matter as much if the light is bright. If the light is not bright, you might notice the fixture. What Paul understood is he didn't have to look great because the message he proclaimed was brilliant. And so he didn't have to be shiny. And this is what differentiates Paul from those whom he say would be peddling The word of God, because you know, those, the individuals who are spokespersons for any kind of product, gleaming white teeth and carefully coiffed hair and, you know, all the people in the infomercials, it's this and it's that. And some of them are kind of bozos, you know, the guy with the flex seal guy, you know, that hits the boat and, you know, some, but most individuals who sell things are, they look really good. And the point is that we see somebody who looks good and then we think, well, I'm going to buy because I want to look good like them. Paul didn't look good. And interestingly, there's individuals who are confronting and kind of pushing back at Paul and they do look good and they have letters of recommendation and they kind of are tough guys. If, if you're not, walking the path, what Paul's going to say later on, they're smacking people. And they push their weight around. And so individuals are kind of frightened of them. They're very influential. And Paul says the reason why they need to be influential and act influential is because the message they're proclaiming is not influential. If the message is influential, the person proclaiming it doesn't have to walk, doesn't have to look good and say it right. That's the way Paul felt. Um, he uses, there was the many, refers to these individuals who peddling, the sense of a peddler is somebody on the back street, not in the main thoroughfares, but um, they are cheating people for their own profit. In contrast, Paul doesn't, he just says things out loud like Jesus did. Um, He speaks clearly and sincerely. Uh, It's not about the absence of hypocrisy. He's just transparent. He knows what message he's been given. Jesus gave it to him. So what he does then, he turns around and takes this message that was given to him by Jesus and he stewards it, which is he gives it out. And when we hear this message, and when we believe it, it smells wonderful. It smells like life. The more you understand it, the more it makes sense. It doesn't feel like that right away. It didn't to me. I remember asking God at one point saying, at some point, I really want to think about you and smile. I didn't growing up. I didn't like to think about God. I did, but I was, every time I thought about God, I thought about what I did wrong. You understand that, don't you? Every time you think about God, you think about what you haven't done. I said, I want to get to a place where that will be different. And over the years, the more you understand the new covenant, when I think about God, it does feel warmer. It's taken a long time, and it does, for, for the news to, to begin to smell good. Uh, look what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1. As he goes on, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Letters of recommendation were used. And the way you used a letter of recommendation, if you were going to go someplace and I was going to dispatch you, and I know the people that you're going to, you don't, what I do is write you a letter. Dear so and so these individuals are being sent at my request. Please give them hospitality, provide them. So, so then if you go on my behalf, you'll have this letter. And, and letters of recommendation were okay. Well, Paul is kind of, is, he has a problem with is that he already knows them. And so he says, do I need letters of recommendation again? Because these individuals have undercut Paul and have caused the Corinthians to kind of think about him and just, and Paul says, I lived among you for a year and a half. Do I need letters of recommendation now to talk about what I do and why I do it? They shouldn't need it because you know why they experienced him. Paul really cared for these people. It's interesting, isn't it? How someone who is known it's it's the power of gossip isn't it somebody plants seeds about someone and as those thoughts about this person kind of and that's what's happening in Corinth they know paul they know how much he cared about them but these words they're starting to poison their thoughts And they think about Paul and they start to wonder about him. This happened to Paul all the time. And he says, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't need any more letters to you because you guys know me. He goes on in verse three, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's not too difficult as Paul gets then to the message. He's drawing a distinction that we talk about often between New and old. There's an article. I'm going to read it. Sometimes when there's, I like to include an article. So then, if you you have a copy of it, you can look through. We can read it, and then you can allude to it later. But this is this kind of stuff. We talk about it oftentimes, but we'll continue to do so. And why we will do that will become clear in a minute. Look what it says. Why does God write His commandments on our hearts? From the vase for grace, God used to write His commandments on tablets of stone. Why does he now write them on tablets of human hearts? And then the text. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. That's interesting, isn't it? Competency in ministry is directly related to the message that you're representing. We are competent as ministers of a new covenant. The reason is because the message of the new covenant is really powerful. You don't need to know everything. If you're proclaiming more that it is a powerful message. Not all will like it. it it'll smell like this to some, but to those who understand it, it will It's interesting. Um, it says, not the letter but the Spirit, for the letter kills but the spirit, but the Spirit gives life. The Bible is divided into two halves. The old Testament and New Testament. A testament is another word for covenant. A covenant is an agreement or treaty between people or nations. God makes covenants with us to clarify his promises and expectations. The Old Testament features the old covenant God made with the world. The New Testament features the new covenant god made with the world god inaugurated the old covenant through moses from mount sinai the terms of the covenant might be summarized this way if you keep the ten commandments you will live if you don't keep the ten commandments you will die keeping the commandments resulted in being blessed not keeping them resulted in being cursed God inaugurated the new covenant through Jesus Christ from Mount Calvary. The terms of the new covenant are very different. God has replaced if you with I will. The possibility of being cursed has been removed. Only the certainty of being blessed remains. Not only are the details of these covenants different, but God inscribes them on different surfaces. Whereas God etched the old covenant commandments on tablets of stone, he inscribes new covenant expectations on tablets of human hearts. What difference does heart writing make? By writing his will on our hearts, God creates within us the willingness to obey him. He gives us a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promises to move you to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. He assumes responsibility to cultivate within us the capacity to obey his decrees. God changes us from the inside out. Beginning with heart-based thoughts and attitudes and moving outward to change behaviors. Failure to understand that Old Covenant outside-in change has been replaced by New Covenant inside-out change is the single greatest cause of spiritual stagnation. The reality is this. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The attempt to follow the letter of the law in order to get God to bless us Kills spiritual life. I want to say that again. The attempt to follow the letter of the law in order to get God to bless us kills spiritual life. When we attempt to obey God in order to earn his acceptance, spiritual death ensues. The only route to spiritual health is to focus on the unconditional love and acceptance found in the new covenant. This is how the spirit gives life. The spirit of God will never motivate you to change in order to get God to accept you because we are no long, we no longer live in the stone age. God writes his will in our hearts. When Paul says the letter kills, he reflects the old Testament. Um, the law had a disastrous impact of the 3.5 million who left Egypt. Two of the original company Ended up arriving, there was a number of individuals who were born during the wilderness wandering, so a number of people walked into the promised land, but of the original company, only a couple um, Paul could admit that the old covenant didn't have a really successful i guess impact because He understood that Paul understood he wasn't throwing God under the bus. He distinguished new covenant glory from old covenant glory. Here's what it says. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. There's a couple different kinds of glory. We've talked about this before, but missing this causes a lot of confusion. Glory is the radiance of God's thoughts or attitudes. That's what glory is. It's the radiance of God's thoughts or attitudes. This glory is not just sent out into the atmosphere. It's directed at people. When God reveals his glory. He reveals it towards people. We are created in such a way that those who behold glory are transformed by it. I'm not saying might be transformed. I'm not saying are transformed if they really work at it. The message you, we understand from God does change us, whether we realize it or not. Glory changes the person upon whom it shines. Um, Glory transforms those who behold it. There are two sources of transformation because there are two expressions of divine glory, not just one. It's not just the glory of God, it's the glories of God. There is old covenant glory and there is new covenant glory, and the impact of those two glories is very different. Here's what he says. It's almost shocking. The letter kills. If we believe what God is expressing is that he blesses us when we obey and curses us if we disobey, that glory is going to, well, what does it say? Kills. It doesn't promote spiritual life. promotes spiritual death. New Covenant glory is different. It's from Mount Calvary and, and spirit, and the New Covenant is associated with the spirit, gives life. A couple things about what we see Biblically, just to give fill in the blanks, These are, you've seen this before. But we'll keep on reminding ourselves of it because it's easy to get confused. Um, what it says, all covenant glory reveals sin, is what it says in Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. What the law is good at is making us conscious of sin, deep down. Now, it can kind of motivate behavior, but the reason why you behave under the old covenant is in order to try to keep the awareness of something bad under the water. It's hard to be really honest when you're under the old covenant. It's really easy to compare ourselves. Well, I might not be great, but I'm better than Brett. You know, that's what we do. So we judge others or what do you mean I have that attitude? No, I don't. You know, so we, we use hypocrisy or we use judgment to make ourselves feel just a little bit better than others. Why do we need to make ourselves feel better than others? because at some point we feel like we're threatened, whether we understand it or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to keep this sense down. That's what the law does. It reveals sin. Sin's there. What the law does, it brings it to the surface. The law reveals sins. It doesn't just reveal sin, it produces sin. Here's what it says in the law was added so that the trespass might increase. Romans 5.20. We've talked about this. I'm going to say this again. Listen to what this says. Some people believe, and they talk about, well, God gave the commandments for a good person, for good purpose to keep humans from killing themselves. No, no. Here's what it says. The law was added so that the trespasses might increase. In, in Greek, The word increase means increase. The law was added not to decrease the evidence of sin, but to increase it. That's kind of good to know, isn't it? And the law reveals sin, produces sin, it energizes sin. Apart from the law, sin is dead. If sin has a power, then not as an act, so it's a ruling power. If sin is here and it's dead there's one thing that gets sin going, and it's like frosted flakes are to Tony the tiger you know it's a you know you you get it in there, you remember it. okay, you know you know it anyways that's that's anyways so so if 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 Sin is dead, what you you want to do to, it's like epinephrine, is you put law on it. Put, you're blessed if you obey and cursed if you disobey, and that understanding will bring about not just sinful acts, but the power, the ruling power of sin within us, it gets more powerful. That's what it indicates. And surprisingly, I read this somewhere, and it's really true the law stimulates the very behaviors it prohibits. Um, Glory transforms those who behold it. Believing that God speaks old covenant has this effect. Believing that God and this is what Paul will talk about in the, in the next couple of weeks about New Covenant glory, and he'll describe practically what it means and why it's different, how it works. You know what I think we're going to do? How about this for brilliance? I say we focus on the New Covenant. What do you say? I'm looking at this. I'm looking at, okay, overconfident glory, the letter kills, reveals, produces, energizes the sin, stimulates the very behaviors of privilege. you know what I think we should do? I think probably we should orient ourselves towards new covenant glory if we want to experience life, and if the message wants to become something sweet. This is not once and done, by the way. This takes time. Keep coming back. We'll continue to look at new covenant because... The Spirit gives life. Brett, come on up. We'll sing a closing song. Father, thank you for sending your Son so that he could inaugurate a new covenant in his blood. And I'm grateful that as we continue to look at this new covenant message and understand it a little bit more deeply and apply it a little bit more deeply, it continues to change us. Glory changes us, and new covenant glory provides heart deep and long-term change. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Be <laughs> careful going home, huh?